Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we have an opportunity to explore yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually awakened living, spiritually conscious living. And I'm your host, Yogacharya O'Brien, and today we're going to be stepping into the stream of wisdom with Rabbi Rami Shapiro to look at how it's possible to find happiness and fulfillment in the midst of constant change. Uh, Rabbi Rami is an award-winning author of over 30 books on religion and spirituality, He received his rabbinical ordination from Hebrew Union College, a Jewish institute of religion, and holds a Ph.D. from Union Graduate School. A congregational rabbi for 20 years, Rabbi Rami currently co-directs One River Wisdom School. And there's a website for that, OneRiverWisdomSchool.com. And he writes a regular column for Spirituality and Health magazine called Roadside Assistance for the Spiritual Traveler and also hosts the magazine's weekly podcast, Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami. And you can find out more about that at spiritualityhealth.com. And he blogs at rabbirami.com. Rabbi Rami, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. It's wonderful to connect with you again. Well, thank you. It's always nice to talk with you. So um, before we dive into our conversation, and, and really, of course, we're going to be Um, talking about your recently uh, released book, The Tao of Solomon. And we're going to be boldly talking about what what actually can't be talked about. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) And um, I'm really happy that you're here uh, to have that conversation with me and our listeners. So let's just take a moment to uh, center ourselves, sort of dive into the ocean uh, from the river of time into the ocean of eternity let's begin with the breath an awareness of the breath just feeling the breath breathing in and breathing out how beautiful is the breath, that sense of flow, of movement and pause in the midst of change, a moment of stillness. So feel the breath in and as you breathe in, 
just intend to dive within into the stillness within your own heart, within your own being. Breathe out, let go of tension, let go of clinging to the past, to the future, and simply be here now, present to the in-breath and the out-breath. of a moment of coming back to ourself, to our essence of being, and noticing the flux of the breath and beyond the breath, the ability to witness and to expand our awareness, expand our consciousness. And as we do that, we begin to notice the breath slowing down a bit, becoming more subtle, and perhaps feeling a bit more peaceful, sort of instead of clinging to the edge of the wave, you dive down deep to the stillness within. Not trying to change the breath, just noticing. And in that, we can find a natural peace in letting go, simply observing. And in that observing, there's a moment of peace. Just notice it. Sometimes just noticing will allow it to expand And let's take a moment to share our peace with all people, with all beings everywhere, and to open our hearts and our minds to this deep conversation this morning. May wisdom arise from within us. May we know peace. May we know the joy that is possible in the midst of constant change. Again, I want to take this moment to welcome Rabbi Rami Shapiro back to the Yoga Hour. Uh, Rami, it's always a joy to connect with you. And of course, I loved your book, The Tao of Solomon. Unlocking the Perennial Wisdom of Ecclesiastes, which is your third book on this topic. So you've been diving into it for a while. And, you know, I get this sense, you know, of of wrestling with it and really um, just trying to get to the heart of what this radical prophet was really writing about. And um, so what keeps drawing you back to this text? Well, basically is I just can't get it right. <laughs> you know, every time I read it, I go, oh, I was wrong before. Let me let me try again. <laughs> you know, the Bible is a thousand year, you know, it's an anthology of texts that spans a thousand years of Jewish writing. And most of it I don't find all that compelling. It's, you know, I mean, most of it I go, oh, this is, 
I, I can't, I, I, I just can't get my, myself excited about, um, a patriarchal God and tribal deities and wars and all this stuff in the name of God, all the things that actually fill the, the newspapers of our time every day. It's just not where I'm at and it's never been where I was at. So I'm always looking for those parts of the Bible that speak from a different perspective. What in, in, uh, academia we call the wisdom perspective and that's what ecclesiastes does so there's always material there every time i read it i just get new insights into into the text and then i want to share them with people you know the the Tao of solomon which is the title of the book is supposed to suggest that um the the wisdom in the book is somehow aligned with, you know, Taoism, not literally, not chronologically, not sociologically or historically, but philosophically. And I, I think that's true. I think um, th there's a, a great resonance there. But more importantly is the subtitle, which is unlocking the perennial wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And there's this thing called perennial wisdom that exist in every spiritual tradition and, and outside spiritual and religious traditions that is, is for me the truth. So I'm always looking for ways of helping people understand that going through a variety of, of different texts and Solomon is just one of them. Yeah. And thank you for that work that you do. And with, uh, with one river, uh, your, your organization, I, I know that you, you have, um, for a long time, been dedicated to um, helping us really dive deeper uh, into our traditions to see if we can really find that perennial wisdom and, you know, stop arguing over things at the surface and um, find what's really at the heart of truth, um, of reality, uh, really. So, uh, of course, I think you've done a wonderful job of unlocking this perennial wisdom of Ecclesiastes in your um, in your introduction to the book, though, you, you know, you start off saying, you know, we, we probably aren't going to like this, um, essentially. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's really looking at, um, okay, here we are, and we really want to um, hold on to the idea of our separate existence, of things um, that we can cling to and hold on to. And as a prophet, um, Solomon just keeps blasting that away. So, um, you know, he describes us as a drop in the river of time. So tell us about that. Yeah, I, I think people do resist the the truth, and and you know that some people say, well, it's it's chutzpahdik, it's outrageous to claim that there is such a thing as capital T truth, but I I think there is, and and that's what perennial wisdom is, and the reason people don't like it is just what you said that it it challenges our very notion of separate self and our separate religions and our separate nations and, and all of that. Uh, basically, perennial wisdom has four points. The first one is everything is a manifesting of God. And you can call God Brahman or reality or nature or mother. It makes no difference to the language. The idea is that it's not a dualistic, supernatural person somewhere, uh, but rather reality itself. Oh, yes. So I can't really say my God is better than your God. You could, but you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because my God is better than your God. But no, you're right. You can't do that. 
the second point is that you and I and all human beings have an innate capacity to awaken to the fact that we and all reality is a manifesting of God. And the third point, and there's just four, the third point is when you're awake, you can do no harm. You just hurting people doesn't happen because you realize, uh, you know, on one hand, you could say, I'm always hurting myself if I do that. But mostly when you truly awaken to the interconnectedness of everything, love arises. So it's what the Buddhists call when prajna arises, karuna arises. When wisdom arises, uh, compassion arises. And then the fourth point is that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. That's the highest human uh, aspiration or goal or, or you know, potentiality is to realize that everything is God and to act godly. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't like it. We, we don't like it. And, mm-hmm. and our language, even our spiritual language, is inherently dualistic. And having that language pulled out from under us is a real challenge because we, we cling to that language. Yeah, and the in the yoga tradition, and of course, what you're pointing to is, you know, what what is called the great error, the maha mistake, which is avidya, or you know, ignorance, ignorance. of this one reality, ignorance of the way that things are, and then taking um, the truth of existence and um, you know, assigning that to the small self, <laughs> you know, right. getting it, getting mixed up, getting it backwards, you know, and so it's not this uh, ignorance is not that, um, you know, it's not that we don't know, like we commonly think of ignorance as well, we just don't know that, but it's the ignorance in the in the sense of yoga philosophy is that we, we do know, it's just that we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. In, in Judaism, uh, it's called narrow mind, mochin de katnut, that's sort of the egoic mind. And when you're, when you're looking at the world from narrow mind, you you know what you know, and what you know is wrong, which is what you just said. And what you're trying to do is, and, and there's a problem just with the word try, but what we're trying to do is shift into spacious mind, mohin to godlut. But the real challenge is to realize you, you can't make the shift because saying you have to make the shift implies that narrow mind is true. Uh-huh. When yeah, it isn't, you, yeah, that you would have to, you would have to make it from that perspective. Right, like, you know, ego, ego is going to make that shift, and that, and that really can't happen. It's more of um, a letting go of clinging well, to that, right? right. If, Except if you can't can... even let go. <laughs> right, it has. It, it's just um, an opening, opening. So, in in one of the, of course, the main points of. Um, this uh, wisdom of of Solomon is this whole idea of um, the the word Havel. Is that how you pronounce it, Havel? Yeah. yeah. And um, this idea of um, empty. It's all empty. You know, sometimes people look at this text and think, oh, you know, this is really depressing. It's like vain. Um, everything is vain, vanity, vanity, and right. it's fruitless and um, it, it can be seem so depressing, um, but you you sort of I feel that you've really redeemed that by um, again taking it out of the context of a thing that is you know empty and meaningless and having us understand it as a process. So tell us about this Havel and Ha'el and how that comes together. Yeah, so 
if you pick up your average English translation of Ecclesiastes, it's going to say, you know, after the, these are the words of, of Ecclesiastes, um, it's going to say everything is meaningless, everything is vanity, everything is, like you said, fruitless, there's no point to anything. If that's really what he said, that's really the end of the book. Then just shoot yourself and that's the end of it. <laughs> you know, it's like Camus said, the only question you have to ask yourself when you wake up in the morning is, do I commit suicide today or not? So <laughs> if, if you really think it's completely meaningless and nothing you do has any value, then what's the point of writing this book? But the word um, Hevel comes from, it's, it's from the, the notion of morning dew, so that there's, a, there's a, a, a reality we seem to experience, but it vanishes, you know, so that the grass is wet when you wake up, but by 10 o'clock it's, it's dry. So nothing is permanent. So it's really about impermanence, or what I'm calling in, in uh, this translation, emptying. And I'm trying to avoid emptiness. And if you say emptiness upon emptiness, it's not bad. It actually sounds good. And it sounds very Buddhist, which doesn't bother me in the least, because I think this is all perennial wisdom. All these traditions share the same insights. But it's still a noun, and I'm trying to avoid nouns. So I'm going with gerunds. You know, there, there really are no nouns. There's no things in the universe. They're just happenings. And it's just verbs, no nouns. And so I'm, I'm going with everything is, is emptying, which means it's fluid. It's, you can't rely on anything. You can't control anything. You can't uh, take refuge in anything other than the emptying. And that's why it, people resist it, because that sounds scary. And, mm. and to the narrow mind, it probably is scary. But that's where contentment, if there is such a thing as contentment and happiness and all that, that's where that comes from is is making that being surrendered to that and i'm again i'm not saying surrendering to that because who's going to do the surrendering mm -hmm. it's it, 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 there is no language for this but there are moments in our lives when we just realize the truth and the we that realizes it is not narrow mind but big mind and narrow mind just evaporates mm -hmm. and then there's this and then later writes a book and tells a and, story about right, it. Right, <laughs> how I did it, sure, right. And we take ownership of, oh, I surrendered, and I'm going to tell you how to do it in this next self-help bestseller. And th there's, you know, the problem with self-help books is there's no self that you can help. So it, it, sort, of, it sort of just perpetuates the problem rather than solves it by yeah. saying there's a self that, that needs help. So... In Ecclesiastes, you get this notion that everything is impermanent, including yourself, your notion of self. And then you, you mentioned Ha'el, the, the God concept. So Ecclesiastes doesn't talk about God in any supernatural or you know, personalist way where God is a being somewhere who's self-conscious and does stuff. God is simply reality. And in the, in the Jewish tradition, though, this is after Ecclesiastes. You know, in, in the beginning of Genesis, we get that, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was, was empty and void. The Hebrew is, is way more challenging. So the world is fundamentally, according to Genesis, fluid, unstable, mm. constantly changing. 
and isn't there, isn't there a sense of 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 a verb there too like god is creating rather than god created like a thing um, right and then what is this god in, in in the hebrew it's elohim which is the plural so it's really gods not even god but the commentators the mystic commentators who by and large are the only people worth reading, I guess. But the mystic commentators will say, because Hebrew numer you know, you can't read Hebrew only as a language. It's also math. It's also arithmetic. Every Hebrew num every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. And if you add up the num the number value of Elohim, you get the number three hundred and eighty six, which is the same number as the word Hateva, which means nature. So what the text says from a mystical point of view is that nature arises and nature is fundamentally in the Hebrew, tohu vavohu, wild, unformed. It, it just can't take, can't hold permanent shape. And Ecclesiastes then says, all right, so how do I live in this? How do I, how do I find, or I wouldn't say find, how do I make a meaningful life in the midst of what is essentially chaos? Mm -hmm. And God is that chaos. God is not our friend. <laughs> or 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 what most people want to do with God is God is not our personal concierge. You know, oh, get yeah, this, get yeah. that. Or our subcontractor, I always like yes, to say. Yes, right, right. Um, I really um, like the way that you've um, approached this text and the understanding of reality, you know, trying to avoid nouns, which of course is, is difficult to do. Um, but to think of it as verbs, you know, to understand life as a continually unfolding process, God creates the world, not created like a thing, you know, um, like a, like a clock, right. Set into motion, but creates that, that there's this um, continual unfoldment. And then of course that makes love, uh, a verb and not a noun, right? That's... True, true. And, and, I mean, I would just nitpick a little. I don't even say God creates. I mean, God is what's happening. Mm -hmm. So you and I and everything else is a manifesting of this divine reality. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing outside of it that's in control of it. And nothing that happens that isn't, if you like, God happening. You know, mm -hmm. even we might, you know, good, bad, indifferent, it's all it's all God happening. Mm -hmm. So so nothing happens by accident, but it doesn't mean that everything has a purpose. It just means everything that happens happens because at the moment it happens, nothing else could happen. So you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. hard to grasp, I think, for, for yeah. lots, of, lots of us. Well, and hard to talk about because our language isn't really friendly to it. You know, our language is pretty um, full of nouns and uh, dualisms. And, um, you know, you, you talk also about suffering in the book, um, which is to say, you know, there's the unnecessary suffering um, and there is a kind of necessary suffering. So before we go to the break, do you want to just talk about that a little bit? Sure. Unnecessary or necessary suffering is the suffering that comes from, you know, being a temporary incarnation of the divine reality. So old age, accident, illness, I mean, those things just happen to everybody. Things change. I lose a job, I lose a relationship, I lose a child, you know, all, all of that. That's just necessary suffering. It's built into the system of uh, 
you know, the emptying system and the fluidity of reality. Unnecessary suffering is the suffering that comes from our story. You know, that, that uh, and every religion has a story, and the stories are used to usually bolster one side rather than the other, but it's not just religion, and we all have our stories, and our stories say, oh, things shouldn't be this way, so now I'm, I'm against reality, and that's just going to add to my suffering. Or, you know, I, they're saved, and there's the damned, and there's the chosen, and the not chosen, and the true believer, and the infidel, all that stuff is unnecessary suffering. Worrying that God doesn't love me and God's going to send me to hell, that's just a story, in my opinion, clearly. Uh, all of that is, is irrelevant. All that is unnecessary suffering that we create for ourselves by having stories that are rooted in the narrow mind, which is sees the world in an illusory way, as opposed to spacious mind, which sees the truth. Doesn't mean there's no suffering, but it's just suffering that's built into the system and not suffering that you and I add to it by the insane stories we tell one another. Yeah, and, and um, of course you you have some you have some stories in the book about people and their ways of of trying really trying telling their stories that come down to trying to control reality, right? Trying to right. Um, you know, and we can look at our own stories about things, and if we if we really look and we step back from the story, we can see that oftentimes we're, we're weaving a story about the way things are because it feels like if we, if we can you know, get that story right, then we actually can control the outcome, which we can't. Um, but I, I often see that as the way that the ego comes in and, and tries to tell a story about things. You know, it's his fault. Um, you know, I did this. And so that's why this happened. And, um, you know, while there's uh, some benefit in being responsible <laughs> and seeing cause and effect in, in our actions, there's the way the story comes in is really um, sort of an insidious plot, you know, to try and um, believe that we're in control of outcomes. Right. It's, so it's all about it's all about control and that's why it's difficult to talk about but that's why I love what you do because it's about practice yeah yeah and that help us um, you know see a larger view when when we can and have a direct experience of that which we cannot put into words so um, we're going to take a break now for just a moment and um, I want to remind you of course that you're listening to the yoga hour and I'm talking today with Rabbi Rami Shapiro author of uh, his latest book the Tao of Solomon unlocking the perennial wisdom of Ecclesiastes and it is a power-packed book about living wisely in the midst of change we welcome comments and questions you can contact us at yoga hour at unity.fm i'm yogacharya o'brien and we'll be back from the break in just a moment you're listening to unity online radio The Voice of an Awakening World. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. 
Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Ogan Holder, speaking at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts, on living an abundant life. Examine your life, whatever you may think is missing or lacking or you wish you had. Realize that you are bearing false witness against your true self and speak words of abundance to it. Speak words of truth to it and to yourself and repeat them over and over again until you have brainwashed yourself into believing that you are divine. The moment you begin to think and speak as if truly you are the embodiment of all that is. This is the only thing we got to get in through our thick skulls. Living the abundant life is not about what we have. Living the abundant life is realizing that we have it all. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. For over 23 years, Liz Dunn and the team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting life-changing events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself in 2019. Tickets are available now for the International Women's Summit, March 7th to 10th in Phoenix, Arizona, featuring some of the most inspirational speakers in the realm of mind, body, and spirit. Do something for yourself this year. Go to CelebrateYourLife.com and reserve your space today. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and my guest today is Rabbi Rami Shapiro, author of the book that we're drawing from, The Tao of Solomon, Unlocking the Perennial Wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Of course, Rami is a um, a scholar of the Hebrew scriptures, and he's been um, delving, diving deep into them for many, many years. And and this book um, is his bringing his wisdom and his experience to this uh, book of the Bible, which can be, you know, confounding. It can seem negative. And he's really uh, dived very deep to, you know, come up with the pearl of wisdom that is really there that tells us about the nature of reality and how we can find um, 
peace in the midst of chaos, how we can find uh, contentment really in the midst of change. And, you know, when we were talking in the first segment, uh, Rami, and you, you were talking about beginning to look at life itself um, as this constant um, uh, change, this constant um, manifestation, this movement, this flow, um, like just to look at life as no nouns, like nothing to cling to, only that continually becoming, that with a capital T, continually becoming, those are my words. Um, but as you were talking, I, I, I just sort of flashed on the story, you know, in the Bible about mana, you know, about this provision that is given, uh, you know, for food, for, for sustenance, um, for delight, really. Um, but it, but it kind of comes with a provision, right? Like you, you can't store it. So I wonder if you could talk about um, if there is a connection between that um, beautiful story about being provided for um, in our wanderings and um, what you're talking about here with um, things changing all the time. Yeah, so I think that's a beautiful connection, which I had not thought of before, but I really like it. Especially since you know we mentioned that that uh, Havel, the notion that everything is emptying, uh, comes from the notion of morning dew, and mana is the same. It, it just was some kind of paste or something that arose on uh, the leaves of things that people could scrape off and then eat it. And you could only eat the day's portion, according to the Bible. If you stored it, it rotted. So the idea was to engage in the moment. Find that the sweetness, if you like, in the in the moment. Though mana could taste like anything, uh, I've I've been told by people who eat chicken that it tasted like chicken, but no one really knows. But uh, you know, you could you could have it taste like anything, I guess, except maybe because it's Jewish, you can't have it taste like lobster or pork or something. But um, but if you didn't enjoy it now, it it's gone. It it wouldn't be there later, and. That is very, very powerful because it's the same with everything else. I mean, you've got this moment and this moment has already passed. As soon as I say now, the now is already then. So even when we talk about with all due respect to, to you know, my friends who like Eckhart Tolle, who use the term power of now, it's, it's always then. By the time I get around to now, the now I'm getting around to is already a then. And and that's why and, and that's because the, the narrow mind operates in that arrow of time and what you were talking about at the very beginning of the show and this timelessness and that is the larger reality in which uh, i wouldn't even say in which we exist you know saint paul says god is that in whom we move um we live and move and have our being and that's true except it implies that there's a me separate from that with a capital t as you just said mm-hmm. i am that I mean, that's like tatvam asi. I mean, that that's it. I am that. That is me. You and I and everyone who's listening and everything else in the universe is simply God happening, um, Brahman happening, or, you know, pick your favorite, your favorite word for it. But that's all it is. It's the universe happening. And if I, when, when that, when, when that awareness happens, that's when I feel contentment and peace and joy. But it's also fleeting because everything is is fleeting. The question is, is there a way to tap into the, in some more permanent fashion? And and I don't 
I don't know. Let me just say that. I don't know. But there is pure awareness that is my, my truest self. And if there was a way to rest in that as that, then I guess there would be permanent contentment or permanent joy. But that, I guess that's what, what we would say. That's what sat, chit, ananda is, pure being, pure consciousness, pure bliss. Mm-hmm. It's that level of knowing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, in our practice, and in practice uh, meditation, um, practice just being, you know, just being aware, aware of being aware, um, that there is a piece that can be found right there. Um, we sort of drop, dropping back into observing. So it helps us unhook, you know, from, um, the story of, you know, from being too personally involved, um, in, in the story, you know, of taking things personally. And, you know, that's one of the issues that you address in the book that is so powerful. You know, one of the ways that we hurt ourselves and that we hurt others is taking things personally you know, um, and, and blaming people, shaming people, um, you know, that like, and and some people go so far as to say, you know, God did this to me (laughs) or to you, um, which is really horrible. Um, so could, could you talk a little bit about that? You know, this is this whole idea that, you know, the life is, is aimed at us. We're a target for this or that. Right. I mean, we want a sense of agency, either, in a positive way that I'm doing this, I'm choosing my life, I'm making things happen for myself, or a a lack of agency is that I'd like to be in control, but no, someone else is in control of me. Someone's done something to me. Both of those are are rooted in in the ego, in a very narrow sense of self um, with a lowercase s. And and that's ultimately the problem. No one... I mean, this is just my take on it. Things happen because they have to happen. You know, so you could say it's the will of God, but that implies a God who's self-conscious and actually willing things to happen. I don't think that's the way it works. But you can't have a car accident unless a gazillion different factors are operating so that the accident has to happen. You know, it just, if everything is fine and normal, accidents don't happen. Something changes and then that something causes something that we call an accident. So, so we tend to imagine this sense of agency and then have the whole world revolve around us. And then we say things that God blessed me or God cursed me or this one hurt me. But I don't really think it works that way. I think hurt happens. I'm not saying if you feel hurt that you shouldn't feel hurt. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that people even, even – and this sounds horrible, I realize – but even people who go out of their way to hurt you deliberately, in a sense, have no choice. They are driven by forces beyond their egoic control and are simply acting out stories that they have, have, are, are glued to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they're, it's not about you. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just using you. So um, I think it's Laura Huxley who has that wonderful story about the, the canoe where she's out in a lake by herself in a canoe and a fog rolls in and she's trying to get back to the dock Mm -hmm. and she sees there's another canoe filled with people doing the same thing but they don't see her because of the thick fog and she tries to warn them off because they're going to ram her and she's afraid her canoe will be tipped and she'll go in the water and drown and she's yelling at them to try to get their attention but they just keep coming right in her direction Mm -hmm. and eventually they do 
ram her canoe and she but she isn't thrown overboard and she you know rights herself and she leans into their canoe to really just let them have it and she discovers the the other canoe is empty mm-hmm. and it's just caught in the current and there's nothing nothing is aimed at her on purpose it's just reality being reality and given the nature of wind and current and all the rest of it that canoe is going to hit her canoe and her suggestion is that's how life works situations are such that x happens you like x you don't like x but it's the conditions of the universe that cause it to happen not someone in control mm-hmm. yeah and that of course that idea as we were talking about earlier in the first segment of you know if we can somehow make up the story that that we do have um control um, then we can control the outcome. And, um, you know, when, when we look at the, the scriptures uh, of yoga, we, we find that, you know, there's a teaching that there's certain things that we can control. Um, there are certain choices that we can make in any given moment, but there's always what is called the fifth, the fifth factor, which is um, the mysterious or, you know, that which is unseen, that which we cannot control. So that's sort of the basis for the teaching of um, non-attachment to outcomes, you know, so you do the best that you can in any given situation, but you should know that there's always that fifth factor right that, uh, that that is going to be um, part of um, what's uh, what's happening so yeah you know I do want to say that um, I think it's important um, for us to know and you you certainly stress in your book that this is not um, a deterministic fatalistic <laughs> negative approach of just you know well everything is changing you can't control it so just um be resigned life is hard then you die so um <laughs> that's not the message and that's not the message that you mind from this text so um will you do your best to save us from that message yeah, so I'll go with the last part. Then you die, <laughs> but life life is hard if you if you tell yourself a story that it should be other than it is, right? So if I'm convincing myself that my life isn't going the way it is supposed to go, then my life is hard. But if I recognize that life always goes the way it's supposed to go, then it's neither easy nor hard. It's just what it is, and you deal with it. So Ecclesiastes says that. Uh, well, first of all, in chapter three, and I won't read the whole chapter, but, uh, you know, he talks about there are moments of birth and moments of dying, birthing and moments of dying and moments of joy and moments of sorrow and moments of uh, building and, and tearing things down. And it, he goes through a whole list. And the idea is that all of these things are going to happen. You just have to be in sync with the moment. If it's a, if it's a grieving moment, don't try to be joyous. You know, I mean, I've, as a congregational rabbi, I've had so many people come and they're, they're, they're saddened over the death of a loved one, but they think they've been sad long enough and now they want to, maybe they should take medication to stop being sad, and, which is ludicrous. I mean, if, you're, if the time is a time of grief, then just grieve and don't determine by some story how long the grief should happen. Mm-hmm. So, so, so he's saying you simply have to live in sync with the moment, but then he goes beyond that. And he does lay out a course of right living, to use a Buddhist term, I guess, in the context of this chaotic reality that is our everyday existence. And he says, for example, you can 
uh, find work that brings you joy. Now, now that's a strong statement. It sounds very 60s, you know, like Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. But he says that you can, there is work out there that will actually bring you joy. You should find that and do that. He says you should eat moderately and drink moderately. He talks about having clean clothes and having your head nicely quaffed so that you don't walk around, you know, like a, like a slob. So you should, you should look good and dress well, but simply. And then he says you should cultivate friends. And you don't know exactly the kind of friendship he's talking about. Certainly it's not Facebook friends, but he says you should have two or three friends. And then he talks about sleeping with these friends. So I don't know if they're friends with benefits or I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, but but it's it's a full full bodied engagement with a couple of people in your life. Uh, and he says that if you fall down and you have two people, you know, someone to lift you up, that's what a friend is for. And if you have two friends, he says it's harder to fall down altogether. So so he's talking. So there's things you can do. And you could I mean, this book is only about the individual. You could expand that to a social program. Everybody should have decent food and access to clean water and clothing and, and you know, hy hygiene and, and all the rest of that and work that brings them joy. I mean, you could really turn this into a social program as well. And he's saying these things are doable in the midst of the madness of a chaotic, fluid, ever emptying universe. So yeah, he's not depressed. People read it in a depressed way. I mean, he says in the very beginning of the book, the eye never tires of seeing. And people interpret that to mean like, well, we never get to see enough. But mm -hmm. what he's saying, just imagine if you did. Mm -hmm. you go, okay, I've seen enough. And then you go blind? No, that's absurd. What he's saying is, is the world you're looking at is constantly changing. How amazing. Mm -hmm. Look at it. Watch mm -hmm. it. Witness mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So even enjoy it, right? Enjoy yes, it. Yes. And right. if you're not if you're not trying to cling to it and and you know, um, push against its changing nature. And really, you know, that's one of the things that if we, if we really experience it, and we really tell the truth about it, it's what makes life so precious. You know, it makes um, being here so precious um, that it is fleeting. And uh, so, you know, if you, if you love someone and you know that you actually do not get to be with that person forever, then it makes you really want to appreciate the time that you do have with them, right? I think so. I, I think so. I mean, I've got a three-year-old grandson and luckily he lives where I live in the same neighborhood. So I get to see him all the time. But, and, and I don't want to overstate this, but he's not the same person from, I mean, I was going to say week to week, maybe even day to day. He's mm -hmm. changing and you can see him changing. Mm -hmm. I, when I look at adult friends, they seem like, oh yeah, they never change. What's wrong with them? But he's <laughs> constantly changing and it's, it's just marvelous. And you know that if you miss out on one day, you've missed out in a sense on a, on a lifetime of, of his, of his changing. So I'm not saying you, that I want to be with him all the time. I have other things that I also want to do. But uh, you, you, the, the fleetingness of life translates into the preciousness of life. Mm -hmm. And, and, that, and then, then people go to clinging. But Ecclesiastes is saying, no, not clinging. Just being aware of it is the gift. 
Yeah. And for me, that that sort of gives me um, an insight into the vulnerability of being alive and the beauty of it, which, you know, when I really touch it, um, it just breaks my heart. Um, but in a good way, you know, um, it, it, it sort of make, brings tears. Um, I feel quite vulnerable, but kind of awestruck with the whole thing. And that is when I feel most alive, you know, so I would say it's when, you know, I've been dropped from my head into my heart and, um, I experience life as so beautiful and, uh, you know, beauty, I think of as a divine quality, but it, it is that quality which contains this, um, you know, uh, evanescence, this um, fleeting nature of things. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love, I mean, I, this is not exactly what you said, but sort of being awesomely vulnerable mm-hmm. is, is so important. And it, yeah, it's and uncomfortable it, though, Rami, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 when I feel it, I feel, you know, teary, I feel uh, profoundly alive, um, but it's kind of, it's hard to walk around that way um, because it, it's just so uh, jaw-dropping, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I is- think it's, it's, it's what you said earlier about I don't, you didn't put it this way, but taking refuge in the witness or, or resting in the witness, I, I would rather say, and, and I put those words in your mouth, so now I'm, I'm challenging the words, I guess, inserted in your mouth. It's resting as the witness or, or just mm-hmm. as opposed to being in the witness. I'm trying mm-hmm. to avoid that kind of dualism. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I do, and this is something somewhat recent for me, it's, and this is how I was taught to say it, nada yoga, sound yoga. Mm-hmm. realizing yeah. that there's this sort of white noise going on in the back of my head, which mm-hmm. uh, I forget the name of the the uh, text, but one of the Hindu texts says is the, the, the I mean, it's the sound of the universe. Mm-hmm. In, in the Torah, in, in the Tanakh, in the Jewish texts, it's called the fragile voice of silence. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's what there is. And, if you, and when I rest in that, which I do as a regular practice, Every time I can, when it's quiet enough that I can actually hear this this sound, I don't make the sound; it just is there. When I rest in it, I'm, I, I find it comforting. It doesn't change anything that's happening. It just changes. It just, you know, it's, it's as if my hands were clenched yeah. in trying to hold on to what I want. And when I listen to that sound, my hand relaxes and I release. And and you end up in this stance that the Qigong people call. Um, monk begging for rice, where you're just in this relaxed stance uh, with your hands outstretched, palms up, uh, just receiving the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows of everyday existence. That's what Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to do. I think that's what perennial wisdom is trying to get us to do. And that's what spiritual practice in general is trying to get us to do with the added gift of resting as that pure awareness. That, and that's such a beautiful practice that you have pointed to, you know, that in, in yoga, of course, it is um, resting in Om, um, because every sound, you know, is an emanation of that. 
um, that reality, that divine power, that divine creative energy. And so that's a primary practice for us, which is tuning in to that um, vibration and um, that subtle sound that you can hear. You know, it, it, it's everybody's um, comforter <coughs> because it's, um, it's a way to tune into being present. Yeah, that's the, the amazing. We're built that way. We are literally hardwired for that experience. Yes, we are. And we all have that um, mantra. Um, you know, that, that mantra is, it, it, it's there all the time. And it floats on the breath. And, um, you know, in the Yoga Sutra, it, it says that that sound vibration, which we call Om, um, emanates from God and is God. So right. it, it basically says, you know, there's no separation. You, 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 it's like you can't, it's the name of God, but you cannot separate the name of something from that which it is. You know, it immediately brings up the reality of that um, right, which it is, and, and so it's a that's a beautiful practice. Thanks for bringing that bringing and, that in. And you get the same message in in Genesis, where God speaks the world into existence, and you get the same message from the prologue to the Gospel of John, one one. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you know, in in English, it'll say, "In the beginning was the Word." Mm -hmm. So in, when I taught Bible in the university, uh, I would say, "So what's the Word?" And you know, someone <laughs> always goes back, "Oops." <laughs> that was the word. Oops, what a mistake. But but I think the word is om, or the word is this um, unpronounceable, ineffable sound that that precedes even om, as one of the Hindu texts says somewhere. Mm -hmm. But 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 I, what I love is what you just said that it is the name of God, it, but it is God, and it's that vibration that is everything else. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all a dance, and mm -hmm. the question is, do we? dance in sync with the whole or do we dance against it yeah and as you were talking about the the third chapter of ecclesiastes and the the famous uh verse that the people are you know somewhat familiar with you know to everything there's a season and as you were talking about that i couldn't you know i had the birds um going off in my head you know not the birds with wings but the musical group you know uh, the turn, 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 you know, everything, there is a season, turn, turn, turn. And um, I, I found myself thinking about that um, turning, right, wow. uh, as a practice. Um, and, of course, the mystics. Uh, well, the Sufis going around and, and doing this, the yeah, turning, right? Yes, that's, that's what came to my mind, this, this turning, this movement of, but, of course, when they turn, you know, there's a stillness in the midst of it that allows them not to fall over, right? <laughs> right, right. And that's and that's true. If if we allowed, I don't know what you want to call it, the turning of life the, to, to spin us around, we would find, well, let me put it this way, the Japanese have this, uh, the Buddhists in, in Japan have this doll called a Daruma doll, which is a bastardization of the, the name Bodhidharma who brought Buddhism from India to the West and, or to the, yeah, from the West to the East. And 
the the Bodhidharma doll has no feet because he sat forever, you know, on cushions on, on the ground. And the, the doll wobbles, but it never falls over. In the West, it's the weebles. You know, the, remember those toys? Yeah, they have, yeah, they have yeah. the round bottom. Uh-huh. And they uh-huh. always, their motto is weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> and life is this incessant, constant wobbling. But if we surrender to the wobbling, we don't fall down. We only fall down when we try not to wobble. <laughs> That's so beautiful. So walk, don't wobble, or turn <laughs> and don't fall down. And and it's we've come to the time to conclude our program this morning. And Rami, it's just always such a delight to talk with you. And I want to point people to your wonderful book again, The Tao of Solomon, Unlocking the Perennial Wisdom of Ecclesiastes. You can find out more about Rami uh, and his blogs and his work at rabbirami.com. And um, thank you again for being with me. And um, next week, we're going to be listening to Falling in Love with Your Practice, where Dr. Laura Trujillo and I are talking about meditation and keeping that uh, joy of being in the presence alive. Yoga Hours is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Thanks for being with us. Please remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour and let your friends know about it. We really appreciate that. And thanks um, to Unity and to our friends in the sound room, Louie. Appreciate you being here today and our Yoga Hour team. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 